0: Well, good morning. And I hate to break up the fellowship time. It's a joyful time. but let me just welcome you to our service this morning. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. And we know that from Colossians 1.27, because the scripture says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Christ is present with us, in us, and we in Him, if we have received Him as our Savior. What I'd like to do, uh, before I open us in prayer, I'd like to just share a few brief thoughts with you about Memorial Day. Of course, tomorrow is Memorial Day, and I jokingly say in my family, well, it's also my birthday, <laughs> so, but no relation. <laughs> uh, But anyway, I I just want to share a few quick things with you about Memorial Day. Here's something to remember of why we celebrate Memorial Day. As as Command Sergeant Major retired, Nelson Wallace with us. I I don't see him today. Almost every single time uh, the remains of a fallen serviceman comes through the Atlanta airport, Nelson leads uh, honor guard, sometimes a person of one, to uh, honor the dead there. Let me just share with you briefly there are three important days uh, to, to honor military. And uh, they sometimes rotate on different days. Armed Forces Day, you may know about that. It's where we honor the, the five different services. I have seven there, but that's a, that's a misprint. It should be five. And then on Memorial Day, which we celebrate tomorrow, it's a day for honoring and remembering those who were killed in battle or in war. Uh, and then Veterans Day, November the 11th, that day never changes, it's based on World War I. Let me just show you quickly, and I don't want you, we're not gonna stay on this slide too long, but you can see all war-related deaths in our, in our nation, total over a million uh, men and women. More women now are dying uh, in conflict than in the past. I have a scripture there. I didn't take it out of context. A greater love has no man to lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus went on to say, I call you friend if you... Uh, obey my commandments. But that's not taking it out of context to apply it to, to military. I will tell you this. In battle, yes, you're there to in service to your country. But when the fight gets the thickest, you're fighting for your buddies left and right of you that they might not be killed. Uh, so the men and women who have laid down their lives for their buddies, their foxhole buddies, as it's often said, they are uh, in a real sense showing love for their fellow soldiers. I want to speak briefly about D-Day. You know, we're losing our history. Uh, Don't focus on our history very much. The Battle of D-Day, or the invasion of Normandy, as it's called, was one of the greatest conflicts of World War II. No, it's the largest uh, invasion of a continent that has ever occurred in in world history. And we know little about it today. Let me just share a couple of quick facts with you. Howard sent me uh, these photographs. This year, an artist gathered uh, about 60 volunteers he knew, and 500 other volunteers. And they went to the beaches of Normandy, and they laid out silhouettes on the sand to show that 9,000 soldiers died on the invasion uh, of Normandy beaches. We can't imagine 9,000 uh, dying in just a, a brief couple of days. And so this is a very graphic picture of what 9,000 soldiers might look like. Um, he entitled the work of the fallen 9,000. You know, they, they labored for 24 hours to, to make these silhouettes appear on the beach, and when the tide came in, it erased them. And you know, uh, this battle, if I was going to recommend one book uh, for our for our high school students to read, it would be this book here by Stephen Ambrose about D-Day. It is a uh, unbelievable story. And I would encourage, uh, if you want to do something to re- help recover the history of World War II, this book would be a good book to consider. Well, let me just close with this. In Deuteronomy 6, verses 10 through 12, Moses reminded the Israelites, before they went into the land of promise, so shall it be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities, which you did not build, Houses full of all good things, which you did not fill. Hewn out wells, which you did not dig. Vineyards and olive trees, which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware. Lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. I will just raise a note of caution here. Paul says we're to look at Old Testament verses like this as examples for us today. And truly, we are beginning to forget our history and the sacrifices that were made for freedom. It's often said, freedom is not free, and that is a true statement. I'll close with this. In In our own national anthem, the last lines of the most famous in first verse says this, and it's in the form of a question. Oh, say does that star-spangled banner yet wave over the land of the free and the home of the brave. And I think as we, as we celebrate tomorrow, uh, no matter how much fun we have uh, we should remember the fallen. And we do that uh, thanking God for the men and women who have sacrificed their lives and the wars of our nation to preserve our freedoms. I might also add, uh, uh, Nancy asked me, well, what do you say on Memorial Day? Happy Memorial Day? <laughs> well, my wife said, I always am happy on Memorial Day that you're not being remembered. And, I, you know, that, that's true. And I, I, shared with, I shared with Nancy, just telling people that you're remembering the fallen. And let, let me just ask, how many of you have in your family history a, a man or a woman who faithfully served but was killed in battle or in theater due, due to the war or conflict. Do you, have, do you have someone in your family? Would you just raise your hand? And I do as well. Uh, and today, is, tomorrow is the day we give a special memory to them. Well, let us pray. Father, as we open this service, we do give you thanks for the freedoms that we have as a nation. And Father, like the children of Israel, we have taken them for granted. We have forgotten that we did not build this nation, that those who have sacrificed on our behalf did. Often doing it under your guiding hand, that we might have the victory uh, that's needed to combat evil in this world. And so we ask your special blessings upon us today as as your word is opened up to us as we sing praises to you, as we give you thanks, Father, uh, for the blessings that we have had. Father, bring spiritual revival to us, and as I remember on 9-11, that calamity, how briefly we turned to you. And Father, I pray that we don't need another calamity to come back to you. So, but in, with, with that prayer, I just ask on behalf of our nation, for our people, in Christ's name, amen.
1: We're going to pray, and then we're going to uh, go to the scriptures. And I've got uh, some special announcements uh, that I need to make. With regard to the conclusion of the message today, by the way, it was not planned, well it was, but it wasn't, that we would be in Romans uh, chapter 13, 1 through 7 on Memorial Day. Well, tomorrow will be Memorial Day. As providence has fallen out over the weeks, uh, it just so happened that we're where we need to be. Uh, And what we're going to be doing is diving into this very important section of Romans with regard to the church and state. We're not going to do it all today. There'll be at least two messages, I know that much, maybe three. And that's where we're headed. And so, with that in mind, I want us to pray. And I want us to not forget about our brothers and sisters in Christ and other places and are undergoing great difficulty. Here is a note from Iran, dated in the April of this year. Recently released prisoners face hardships. In February 2023, the Iranian government released thousands of long-held prisoners during a general pardon. These released included several Christians imprisoned for practicing their faith. Upon their release, the government confiscated the work permits of the freed Christians, so they cannot hold jobs to provide for their families. Don't have names associated with this, understandably so, where this has occurred. I want that to be in our prayer now as we go to the Lord. Pray with me. Our Lord and our God, you indeed are the Lord of all history, ruling sovereign, sovereignly over all who have come to places of governance, no matter what kind of government, ruling over whether it be uh, Xi Jinping, whether it be Putin, whether it be our own administration, all the kings, all the presidents, all the dictators, you rule, Lord, you rule, and we acknowledge that and thank you that you do rule. Now, Lord, you've given us this portion of your word, to speak to us as you did to the gathering of your people in these uh, house churches in Rome in probably about 58 AD, brothers and sisters in Christ that we'll meet one day in heaven. And they went through these things and had to sort a lot of stuff out, a lot of issues. And so, Lord, we are in need. We are in the same, same need to be able to think clearly about how we should conduct ourselves as citizens citizens in this nation in which we live. Lord, we pray and we bring to you these believers who are going under this extreme circumstance situation of being ruled out of job opportunities because they're believers. Yet, Lord, there seem to be, we're coming into this in our own nation where Christians are ruled out, cannot be accepted because Christianity is increasingly seen to be incompatible with the religion of the state and the worship of other gods throughout our nation in this day, but I pray that you will bring open, give open doors to these people who need these work work opportunities to provide for their families in Iran. For your name's sake, we ask that, and Father, Lord, we do pray. I pray for those who are unable to be with us. Some are weak, sick, and infirmed, Fighting through things. I think of David uh, Barber, he mentioned his brother, who is now contending with cancer and chemo treatments. I think of Linda Roundtree as she's going through this same the anxieties and the um, hopefulness, and then maybe not so hopeful, and then the, just the, the ifs and the buts and the ands. Oh, Lord, I pray that you will give a uh, this, this residual, this peace that you promised. I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee, Peace in the midst of it all. Oh, our God, we need you. We do need you as a people. Now, as we go through this portion of your word, which you breathed out by the Holy Spirit through your servant Paul so many centuries ago, open our eyes, and give us understanding to grasp it, to live accordingly. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Uh, can you I need to make this up front this announcement. I would like, at least two, uh, to stand and pray at the conclusion of the message. I'm giving you this alert so you can think it through so it won't all just all be off the cuff and think how you can pray for our nation in light of what's going to be said and what we're working through here in these verses. So at least two would be prepared, and you would stand and pray. and We will pray with you, and then I will close this out. So that's where we're headed. Now, who would have thought that um, in preaching this, I've preached through this passage, this passage uh, different times through these last, what, 52 years, uh, all told? And it's amazing how fast culture changes and how government changes and how politics changes. Now you need to remember that those are three different spheres and they overlap. To put it simply, culture is all the things that we do, the customs and so forth, to enable us to relate to one another. Uh, That's, I can't think of reducing it to a more basic point than how we relate to culture. And my is it changing at warp speed in our lifetime? And then there is government that's just simply the way we organize ourselves so that we can have some semblance of rule and some control, and so that we can have law and order in the best sense of those terms, so that we can rule ourselves and life can, can we can function according to laws that, as we saw that they punish the evil and reward the good. And then politics. Well, politics is that which we do to guide the governance system, the government system, how we see it in terms of our own judgments, what we think is important, and it's very important. Now, it's been said that in certain social settings, and sometimes it's inferred that this is the way it's to be in church. That we can't talk about politics, or in social settings we can't talk about religion and politics. Well, I want to uh, confirm to you this morning that both of these will be in Romans thirteen. <laughs> All right, so uh, we're not going to be dodging any issues. Now, pray for wisdom, because we're not here to tell you how to vote um, or which is the greatest nation on the planet and all those kinds of judgments, but my prayer and concern is that you'll, as we look at this passage, that you'll be able to pour through a biblical filter whatever it is that's going on in culture, in governance, and in politics. There's a way we need to pour those things through how God has told us to think about it. Now, I'm going to alert you to this. This passage is going to take a little longer for some background. I've planned for it, so don't be uneasy. That we we need a little bit of background work on it. In your bulletin, you've got an outline, and we're we're going there. So have that uh, handy. I thought that it would be helpful if we got just a little historical background on the larger subject of civil government in the church. We are not the first generation of Christians, obviously, that has had to work through these matters of the kind of government we have. How do we? What kind of citizen uh, citizens are, are we to be? Uh, and all the, the the difficulties that go with that and the challenges. I here's the 19, the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith. I have in modern English. And here is what it says. It's an excellent document. By the way, you know, confession shouldn't scare you. Uh, sometimes independent, non denominational churches get just a little careless and think that church history began when their church started. Church history didn't start in 1970 when we, this was just a cow pasture. That it goes way back. We have brothers and sisters in Christ who forged this back in the 1700s. And here is what it says with verse 1689. This is what it says in the 24th article in this confession. God, the supreme Lord and King of the whole world, has ordained civil authorities to be under him and over his people, over the people, for his own glory and the public good. For this purpose he has armed them with the power of the sword to defend and encourage those who do good and to punish evildoers. Second paragraph, Christians may lawfully accept and carry out the duties of public office when they are called to do so. In performing their office, they must especially maintain justice and peace according to the wholesome laws of each kingdom or other political entity." to carry out these duties, they are authorized now under the New Testament to wage war in just and necessary situations. And the third paragraph in this section, because civil authorities are established by God for the purposes stated, we should submit in the Lord to them in everything lawful that they require. We should submit not only for fear of punishment, but also for the sake of conscience." we ought to make requests and prayers for kings and everyone in authority so that under their rule we may live a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty. (laughs) Well stated. Some committee got together and worked on that. (laughs) Those of you on committees know how things like that have to transpire. Now we have challenges before us in this passage, in dealing with this passage we understand the whole issue of separation of church and state. I mean, you read, if you follow the news, that's just going to be in your face in some way or another. More than that, though, here's what's happening, if you haven't noticed. Civil government is seeking to distance itself from God. Eh, See? Slippery. Distance itself from God. And what is being established in the place of recognizing the authority of God over our nation and all nations is a secular religion. It's working its way through all the as the Marxists say through mar- the long march through all the institutions. It's happening. Oh how we need Romans 13:1 through 7. Now you know Jesus was put on the spot. He knew what it was like to have microphones thrust in his face. Eh, sort of. Remember, Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, his adversaries. Hey, here's a coin. Who, who, who to whom we give tribute? Caesar or God? Well Jesus put them in their place. <laughs> it was a genius of a move that you render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar, and to God the things that are God. Well, when you render things unto God, Caesar is to be in compliance with God's moral order. So it's not some moral bifurcation where government is on its own to determine its moral structures and standards. Not at all. The Pharisees and the Herodians attempted to entrap Jesus in this matter of loyalties. And that's, we're up against that today, aren't we? And if Jesus acknowledged servitude to Rome, then he disclaims Messiahship. It was a gotcha. No, it wasn't. If he said loyalty to Rome was, nece- was not necessary, then he would be open to the charge of treason and Rome would be ready to pounce. The picture on the coin was probably that of Tiberius Caesar, it did not say, In God we trust. And in so many words, it was in Caesar we trust. Now then, okay, this passage, we're coming up to it. told you it was going to take a little longer time, but please get these things. You know, there are those who would consider themselves and the church that politics is beneath Christian whose citizenship is in heaven. It's, uh, that's a trap to, that many have fallen into. It's what uh, church historians through various forms of pietism. It came up soon after, almost at the time of the Reformation. There were just some who said, hey, we're out of this. We're going to go out and live our own lives, and uh, government is, if anything, a necessary evil. And there are Christians who think the same way today and because they want to subordinate the matter of politics to, uh, well, just put it On the margin of things. Now, what we have then is this balanced view of things in Romans chapter, well, actually it goes back to chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, for the mercies of God, that you present your bodies living sacrifice. Present your bodies. For what? For the will of God to do it. What is the will? Here is part of the will of God, the moral will of God with regard to government, the state, and the church. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So there it is. So let's now look at some further considerations. I thought these things through, and I thought that they did need to be up front. Now, what we're called to do, if you will, look over your shoulder at Romans chapter 12. You may want to just do that mentally. Check your own memory. We're called to live at peace with everyone. Chapter 12 and verse 18, right? If possible, live at peace. Be peaceful people. This is part of the will of God. It's part of the will of God for Christians to know how to live under human government. And I don't know about you, but I find it to be a very difficult time to do so because of several things. It wasn't so much a difficulty back in well, when I first became aware of government and presidents was in the 1940s, <laughs> dates me, and movie tone newsreels on Saturday afternoon at the theater. That's about the way you got it. And, well, okay, you could go on and live your life and not think a whole lot about governance and politics and that sort of thing, but no longer is it that way. Shroom, warp speed. Social media has, made, has changed that for good and for bad. But how is it possible not to be conformed to this world and at the same time to subject oneself to higher powers? How do we do that? How do we think? How do we think about the voting booth? That kind of thing. So it's necessary, and Paul is, I'm trying to get into his mind on this here, it's necessary to correct any misunderstandings that may have arisen from Romans chapter 12, 17 through 21. Well, you say, well, Hey, I got it. What, what could you misunderstand about Romans 12? Well, oh, he says that uh, we're to live at peace with everybody if possible. Okay, being a peacemaker. But does that mean, well, he goes on to say, take no vengeance, no revenge. Well, what is, is this a, is this a, a license to, to, to be pacifist? Some are taking it this way. We're going to have to deal with that in the next couple of weeks. But how do we deal with retaliation and vengeance and justice and peace? Now, these subjects are closely related to the gospel. They're not often in two different spheres. Part of reasons Paul for writing to the Romans was to establish for the uh, the, the church as a base for uh, of operation for evangelism in the Western Mediterranean. That's why he wrote Romans. I'm coming there and I want you to help send me on out to, well, he was thinking beyond, out to Gibraltar, to Spain, wherever, British Isles. Didn't get there, as far as we know. But here, therefore, Paul, in the book of Romans, what did he do? He said, I want you to be sure that you understand that salvation is in Jesus Christ, in him alone, through his all-sufficient atoning work on the cross, and his resurrection on the third day, and we go to every nook and cranny of the civilization, wherever it is, to make the gospel known. And I am writing this to tell you and stress to you what the gospel is. And a part of that is so they can understand how to fit into the matrix of the church and state, those issues. Now, what was the situation in Rome at this time? Let's try to put a few things together. Paul writes this letter at about 58 AD. Now, later on, he's going to eventually, he's going to be martyred in Rome, but he's going to be, he's going to go to Rome. He's going to go before Caesar. He's going to be a trial. He's going to be released. He's going to go through all that, but this, this book's written about 58. He wrote it from Corinth to the church in Rome. And here were things, roughly speaking, this is the way things were, because you're wondering, why did he do this? Why jump into this? Well, for one thing, there were some Jews in the church in Rome. We, can, uh, we know this from what we're going to go on to see in chapters 14 and 15. So you had Jews and Gentiles. You say, wow, well, that's not a problem. I know. Uh, Converted Jews? Whoa, great, that'd be wonderful. How do we get along? But you had a culture clash, culture clash. It happens today whether it's ethnicity or social, uh, socially, we have culture clashes. And so they existed. And so think of the Jews. What was their history? What was their experience? Steeped in theocracy, but it no longer existed. But that was their history, a theocratic kingdom in the Old Testament. And so Jews had a difficult time with the hobnail boots of the Roman army telling them what where to go what to do what taxes to pay and you're under our authority yeah you can have your temple and you can make your sacrifices and you can do this and you can do that but we're in charge and don't you forget it don't you think that chafed the Jews Well, sure it did they're converted well when you're converted do you leave all your old faults at the door oh you bring them in you got to be sanitized by scripture so, there was, this is what, were there any seditious movements at this time? Probably some. They're going to begin to accelerate to further along because by 70 AD, remember your church history, Rome finally said, this is it. And they came in and hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands uh, were slaughtered in the streets of Jerusalem as the Romans came and said, they've had it with Jew, the Jews in Jerusalem. There were seditious seditious movements going on in those intervening years from when Paul wrote this up until 70 AD. So there was a restlessness of Jews under the Roman yoke. There were some zealots. Well, Jesus even had one of his disciples was a former terrorist. Simon, the zealot, terrorist. He's converted, thinking differently. And then, of course, there was just the danger of wrong notions on the part of those who were not really free. Slaves. There's slaves in the church. You have slave owners in the church. Well, what do we do? We're converted now. And you hear the truth about, there's freedom in Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? I don't have to show up for work tomorrow. <laughs> At least, not you as my employer without my consent, slavery. So, Paul writes this to put things in order. Now, what's the situation in our day? Got to be careful here. I can't, I can't get off on sidetracks. Believe me, I've got them here, there, everywhere. I follow the news. It's just I did when I was a kid. It just was the way I was wired. I just wanted to know what was going on. That's why I went to school. I just want to know what was going on. And by the way, we were supposed to learn things while we were there. But uh, So, what do we have today to face our views of government, its purpose, its structure. We have terms that are all over the place. Liberalism, leftism, libertarianism, conservatism. Do you know what those mean? He said, I don't need to know that stuff. It's John 3.16 is enough for me. Well, John 3.16 is beautiful. And it's, it's, at, it's the flaming center of why we exist is the gospel. However, we need to be aware of these things. I'll brush by them, go by them later on. Now, there are, is, there are questions that we need to entertain and consider. Um, what's wrong about Christians and government? What are the problems that are faced? What is the role of a Christian? influence of government? How do we influence government? I'll uh, you know, I'll put your feet in the fire a little bit. Should you have been in Washington, D.C. on January the 6th? What, two years ago? Mm, it's a little touchy thing, isn't it, with some? What's our role? What do we do? Um, what are the primary sources of evil? Now, here's what we face. We face some extremes. Always extremes. There are those who want to make human government a substitute for the Great Commission. That's way out there. They want to make a god out of government, and that's what's happening in, in many quarters today. When you abandon God, you're not going to to a vacuum. You're going to go to something to worship. Some are worshiping government. That's a, you want. You see people in demonstrations, and it's what they're willing to do. Whether you're politically so-called right or left. This making government a god. Be careful. And then there are those who want to make government is just evil and get away from it. I wouldn't be surprised if at all that if we don't see probably some kind of uh, 21st century monasticism to emerge. You know what a monasticism was? It began to come up in the church in the 300s. And it was that civilization had, was crumbling as the Roman Empire began to disintegrate. And people didn't know where to turn for some stability and security and what have you. And so, monasticism, go out and live in caves, especially down in Egypt, it was a warm climate, it's a little easier to function in monastic life there than in northern Europe. And so you're living in caves and plant your gardens and just stay away and just meditate. Stym and Stilantes, getting up on the top of a pole and living there for years. Or the one, was it Macarius, I think was his name. They got to the point where, you know, they were so vacant on biblical truth and how to handle life that he got, he, he killed a mosquito that was trying to bite him. He killed it. And he was so smitten by it that he had to do something to salve his conscience, and he went out and lived in a swamp uh, for, for years to let the mosquitoes have had him and so he could make... I'm just trying this crazy stuff, but, uh, but monasticism. Oh, he would be more sophisticated today, where Christians want to find their enclaves, their places and organizations and communities and what have you, schooling even. You have to be careful there that you just completely shut yourself off. All right, I'm just trying to stir you up. Now, with this said, you're ready for the chapter. All right, here's what we're going to do. Let's get up and hover over the passage for a minute. If you're looking at your Bible, I hope you are. Look at the passage. It goes, in the whole chapter, I'm going to say a couple of things about it, and then we're going to work in the text, and then let's see the truths that come up to the top when we look at the text. Now, one of the first things you want to notice is when you study the scriptures, you're looking at the words. There are three imperatives in this passage, just three. Say just, everything revolves around them. Three imperatives in verse one, be subject to the governing authorities. That's the first one. Then in verse five, there's a second one, must be in subjection. And then a third one is verse seven. This is Ah, this pay to all what is owed to them pay your taxes so they're the three imperatives now notice a couple of other things notice the use the terms judgment verse uh, 2 judgment did judgment come up in the previous section in Romans 12 yes it did and it's to leave things in the hands of a wise, infinitely wise and just God, for there be a final um, accountability to him. Okay, we have the word judgment. Um, oh, good and wrong, good and bad. See that in, verses, in verse four. You're good, but if you do wrong, And then you go down, oh, let's pick this up as we go along. If you're looking at your Bible, and eventually it carries out God's wrath. Wrath, did that appear in uh, in chapter 12, in the verses 17 to 21? It did. Leave room for the wrath of God. So good, evil, wrath, judgment. Oh, and one other thing. We're going to get to this. You can't ignore how this chapter ends when he takes this deep dive into the relationship to the state, who, by the way, at that time, the emperor was Nero. Um, Now, you talk about a loser, uh, politically speaking, who wanted to have his way no matter what, okay, get into Nero. If you want to go home and check your history out, just look what just the church had been through, from Claudius on Caligula and down to Nero. And Nero, I can tell you, he was, uh, he was not a part of the moral majority, let's just put it that way. And so what we have though here in this passage, how does it conclude? Chapter tw- uh, 13, the coming of Christ. He says, our salvation nearer, On verse 11, is nearer to us now than when we first believe. Well, <laughs> I can tell you this. Bring it on, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Bring it on. And the night is far gone. The day is at hand. And so let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. All of that fits into where he's going in the ultimate view of the Christian, a worldview, the great ark of... Let's correct something. The great arc of history does not bend toward justice. The great arc of history bends toward the second coming of Jesus Christ, who will bring justice. That's where it will come. All right, now, we've got that. Now let's do this. Let's go to verses 1 and 2, and let's look at them. Let's use, we, we've done our hovering over the passage. Now let's bring our magnifying glass down, and let's look at the way Paul moves through this text. What I want to do is take verses one and two. Then I'm going to I'll state what I think is, uh, if I can summarize it. I'm not trying to improve on Paul's thought. I'm just trying to say what I think he's saying here. All right, let's look at it. He says, "Let every person be in subjection." Just a statement about the word here. I don't want to get you lost in the in the weeds. Not that they're inferior. But this word is interesting in comparison to what it says in verse 2, he who resists authority. The root of both of those words is the same. So the verb tasso, except in verse 1, it's hupotasso. And the idea of being in subjection, it was a term that was used in the military culture of subordinating yourself to those who had rank above you. Fall in. What is your rank? And here he's using it to say, fall in. It's subordination to the existing authorities under which you are placed. So he says, without any equivocation, it's an imperative, and it's a present imperative. Let this be the way you live and think. This is the manner of which you're part of your worldview. So you be in subjection to the governing authorities. Uh, choice of words here. What he's saying here is that we have an obligated to constituted authority. And just as in a home, there are structures, you know, there are various institutions that exist in God's created order. God has created in his his moral order in this world, he's created the home, he's created uh, parents over the children, and he has created an employee-employer relationship. These are institutionalized uh, forms of authority, respect for authority, so societies can function in this world. And it was put in place, government was put in place, we can reach down a ways and we'll get to it, that why is government here? If men were angels, I've forgotten who was this Alexander Hamilton, one of the founding fathers, if we were angels we wouldn't need government (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but we're not. So you can see how a lot of biblical truth shows up in the formation of our founding doctrine, doctrines. Now, true, enlightenment philosophy from Europe was a part of it, thanks to Thomas Jefferson. And, oh, I'd like to talk to you about Thomas Jefferson. You want a good book on Thomas Jefferson? I've just finished, I finished reading and I'm reading again. It's called Thomas Jefferson in Flesh, a Life in Flesh and Spirit by Thomas Kidd. I think he, he's a believer. The kid is. He's friendly to evangelicals. So this isn't a, this isn't putting Thomas Jefferson as the, uh, the secular liberal establishment likes to do. Put him up on a pedestal. It will talk to tell you about how he viewed this whole issue of se- so-called separation of church and state. That's not what Jefferson was saying in his letter. That's often quoted. Uh, that's anyway another issue and the issue of slavery. All right, just an aside, footnote, no extra charge. Back, look at the text. Governing authorities, they exist. And government officials in the human commonwealth, to put it another way. So, for there is no authority except from God. He has established wherever this authority structure exists, whether it's in the military, whether it's in school, whether it's in an employment, wherever it is it's established by God to be respected. And those which exist are established by God. And this established by God is saying that, in this sense, we are therefore submitting to God when we submit to those in power. That's the way we have to think. That's the way the conscience should—we're going to get that word conscience a little later on here. That's the way that the conscience then should begin to function. So you have respect for the government, respect for those institutions within government and in our system of government. It would be the judicial, legislative, and and, uh, executive branches. So there is to be respect that you have in submitting to those authorities. And, going on into verse 2, therefore, or consequently, he who resists authority... Now, that word of resisting authority is the same root as the one of being in subjection, except here it's antitaso, against, anti, anti, and sets himself against authority, has opposed the ordinance of God, so you're up against God, not simply some human institution. There's more at stake here than than just uh, human relationships. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation. What kind of condemnation? I think he's saying that this condemnation is going to come. If you come up against government and you're going to, whether it's uh, the police stop you and you roll down your window, it's yes, sir, or yes, ma'am. I had to work through that one a few years ago. Yes, ma'am. She had tattoos, too. <laughs> okay, so it's respect for authorities that exist. And so can the condemnation expect punishment from government from break for breaking the law? Now, you'd think, well, let's just get on by that. But are we up against something today, a philosophy and a view of human governance? And of, of life as we know it in our civilization. Well, I can't go down that road yet, but I defund the police? What are you thinking? <laughs> You're going to pay for that one in more ways than you realize. So, condemnation upon themselves. All right, there, those two verses. Now, we're going to squeeze them a little bit more, but I want to do it this way. First of all, then, I see this principle coming up right immediately. The Christian is to submit to government authority. God has the right to rule and govern his creation. Do you not see something seditious, nefarious, evil working? When you take God out of the picture, what do you have left? Who is your final authority for what you do? Is it a majority of the Supreme Court? Is it the majority in Congress? Is it the the majority in in the Senate? Is it the bureaucratic state which has infiltrated our government to degrees which we can't even begin to understand? We're ruled by an administrative state rather than the branches of government. Oh, my. God rules over all of it. he, He rules over the IRS. Think of that. Now, don't jump to false conclusions. It doesn't mean that God is putting His stamp of approval on the persons who occupy those positions of authority. He's just saying that the principle of authority by which you do the government is to be respected. All right. I know it gets a little it gets complicated, but keep that in mind. So, governing authorities, governing authorities are those who represent the power of the state. From the local bureaucrat right up to the emperor, president and prime minister. Or in my language, I was a quote, is from the dog catcher to the president. Okay. <laughs> That's the way it's supposed to work. And without regard to competency, without regard to morality, reasonableness, or any any kind of concept or view. So they may not be the kind of people you live. I got to be, I got to respect that authority. You see what they're saying? They want us to do? What do you think the Roman Christians must, they're sitting in that congregation, just a little time warp, 58 AD, this letter's being read. There they are, men, women, young, old, slaves, masters, converted Jews, converted Gentiles, and a mix of who knows how many other ethnicities and stations in life. Oh, and I'm going to come to this. This letter is probably going to fall into the hands of those in Caesar's household who are going to show, it to show it to the authorities in Caesar, uh, to, uh, in Roman government. Okay, back to that minute. But even to wicked rulers, Jesus, his word to Pilate. But he said, look, you would have no authority unless God gave it to you. But he submitted to the system that was, that was crucifying him. It was injustice left and right. But he didn't rise up in any seditious way, and you know just footnote this is what really this is two things it certainly it made the Jewish people who turned against the Savior who the majority rejected this was the this is what stuck in their crawl they wanted Jesus to just to some smash-mouth politics is what they wanted. Could you show these Romans a thing or two? We've seen you, we've seen you feed thousands. We've seen you heal uh, impossible, in high, impossible situations, even raising the dead. I read that this morning when Lazarus was raised from the dead. And you know what it says? It said, many believed. I'm not surprised at that. I was putting myself and said, watching a dead man come out of that tomb. Oh, oh, I believe now who Jesus is. But you know what some others did? They went and told the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin said, what are we going to do with this man that's performing all these signs? You know, I read that. I thought, how perverted, distorted can the human heart get in unbelief? Never underestimate human depravity. And where it will go, what it will do. So, say, oh, if Jesus could just make an appearance. Oh, well, we could just have a few miracles. That's what we need. We need some miracles. That'll knock them off their feet. Oh, really? It's just part of God's revelation. What do they do with his word? What, if, what does unbelief do with the word of God? That's a miracle. Shoot, stiff arm it. I don't need it. It's got errors in it. Who knows? There are the books that should be in the, you know, all these ways. Try to undermine the authority of Scripture. It's the same thing if, what if, if they saw miracles. That's magic. You yeah, know, I mean I do that. Oh, artificial intelligence. It can do that. <laughs> That's coming. <laughs> okay. So, so God's will is that he accomplishes purposes through civil authorities both good and evil. Accept it. Now, that doesn't mean the evil is okay. No, but this is where we, we have to begin. Think of li- just think of what life would be like if anarchy ruled. Hey, you know what? We are getting some examples of that. (laughs) We're getting it. Just how would you like to live in Portland, Oregon, right now? I've been there. What's a beautiful city? Went to school there a couple of summers years ago. Oh, lovely place, lovely place. Rose Garden up on a hill, Mount Hood. Oh, Oh, people are getting out of there as fast as they can. It's awful. Anarchy, anarchy, anarchy. City streets, big city streets. How long can people tolerate these things? They can't. Ah, oh, well, so human government is put in place. And government means to govern means to impose obligations that are backed up with sanctions of a person who refuses to obey authority. That's kind of, that's, uh, that's civil government 101 scripturally. <laughs> Start there. Oh, and by the way, another side idea, the point here, not an idea. You know why we're in such a mess in our nation right now with regard to this whole... You know, and just think in Christian circles. Let's keep it there. Young people need to have courses in civics. Civics. I've seen, have you seen some of these interviews? Now, I know they can be contrived, but they, and they put a microphone in front of some young people on the streets or wherever on the beach and begin to ask them basic questions about civil government. They don't know the whole thing. <laughs> it's scary. And And... Here's an article I cut out, I got this out of the, it was actually not an article, it was, it was a letter to the editor in the Wall Street Journal on May the 22nd, and it was the path back to civics education in America, and it essentially saying, what we need, and it's, it's written in by a U.S. circuit uh, uh, Court of Appeals in the District of Columbia, saying, "What we do is that we can't sus- I mean, just the Senate. We can't sustain a constitutional republic with a citizenry that is estranged from our Constitution and our inst- and institutions. And we don't have to. Nearly everything a student or teacher would need to know about the basic setup and functions of our government is available at no cost. And and so it goes on. We need that for so you, parents, homeschoolers." You'd be sure that yours, those for whom you're responsible, whether your parent or grandparent or however, that there are good civic lessons, and don't get into that disease where you want to keep politics out to the edge, because politics and government have so overlapped that uh, they can't be distinguished. All right, with that said, let's move, move along here. Now, you'll notice in these verses, one and two, said believers are to stand under respect the authority of the state, Actually, we're to be modeled citizens. Is that your resume? Do you respect the government and the laws, law-abiding, working within the government? And that's the broader scope of this word obey. Respect government authorities, the president, senators, representatives, governors, state officials, police officers. Respect no no you can sit there in your living room if you watch news cable news or wherever what's available or if it's off the social media uh, be careful you, you can begin to pick up the cynicism and anger and actually slander and vile language begin way uh, debates are being carried out in in government circles be careful don't get sucked into it and you, know, you just watch our language civility Comes from the word civilian, civil politeness, courtesies, so what does Paul here why do, now here's the question i, I suggested right, ago, right a while ago. Why does Paul speak of the christians' responsibilities to state and civil authorities in such an unconditional way N- Nero and Rome you know by the way the the Romans didn't go and vote for their next emperor. <laughs> who are you for hey, I'm going to vote for Nero no I'm going to no, didn't happen. So here are people who are locked into a governmental situation over which they had really very little control, if any at all. Very little. Why does he go to the lengths he does here to stress this obedience factor to government? I think I came across this idea some years ago that Paul was aware that his letter or letters would be read by Caesar's household. They'll get around. We know that there were conversions in Caesar's household from what's said elsewhere in Scripture. And that these letters, who knows, maybe Romans, or at least some of it, would be brought to the attention of civil authorities. They were aware the government was aware of Christians. I mean, these are the people who are turning the world upside down. And... Are Christians out to overthrow the Roman Empire? That was a sensitive issue. You just don't go there. So, Caesar, you're not God. That's already in the mix. Know your place, Caesar. And Caesar is not getting any wiggle room here. God's the supreme authority. Not you, Nero. Oh, I ain't gonna see his blood pressure go up on that one. There is moral law. There is good and bad. Caesar, Caesar. I'm just imagining Caesar reads this. Somebody comes and reads it to him. That use your authority to encourage the keeping of God's moral law. Moral law is over you, Caesar. Now he may have given the finger, whatever they did with it in those days, and some. I'm the authority, but no. This is what's coming through here in this. But Paul is willing to do something. He's willing to risk misunderstanding it, calling for submission because you know what he's more concerned about? He's more concerned about humility, self-denying, trust in Christ, and in civil liberties. That's what he comes down to. Maybe you have to live in a, in a totalitarian society to fully appreciate that where you don't... You've you got to watch every word, every conversation. You're, oh, you're looking over your shoulder to see who's, who may be listening in or wherever. You're, whatever. But no one... Uh, I saw this quote. I thought it was worth putting. No one ever went to hell because they didn't get their civil rights. Jesus promised his... He, Jesus never promised his church a fair fight. Everybody goes to hell... Because of pride, arrogance, unbelief. So let's just get that clear. And it goes, this is Caesar's household. Here's that. Now, that didn't guarantee that Caesar would treat Christians uh, fairly. You know what happened later on? Was it 64 A.D.? The fire on the movies really puts up that was uh, Nero is he wants to have the city burned so he can rebuild it after his fashion and so forth. And so he blames it on the Christians and everybody goes after the Christians. Well, there was some element of truth to that, that these are the people, you know why we're suffering these problems? Uh, It's because of Christians. Let's go get them. All right. Do we have that then? Let's, uh, I know we're still leaving some things that need attention and We'll have to cover those. is why I knew it would be taking us a couple of, uh, th- maybe three weeks on this. But I want to say this in conclusion. That, and I'll, I'll be brief here, very brief. God has appointed government authorities. He's the author of all authority. The author, author of all things. He's the creator. Daniel 4.17. The Most High, Daniel This is Nebuchadnezzar, as of the most high is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of men. God has the rights to rule and govern in his creation. We stand there. Are there things that we need to know and are there specific behaviors that we need to be aware of and and follow so that we can honor Christ? Yes, but here's where we start. And are we in dire straits in our own nation? We are. What is happening before our eyes is where as government, whereas government is to do what? Distinguished between the good and the bad. That assumes some moral presuppositions, that there is a morality outside of us. We don't make it, you don't have your truth and I have my truth. There is truth outside of us. That is being abandoned, And now we have legislation proposed. We have executive orders that are given and press conferences wherein it is stated where it is open, belligerent advocacy of belligerence toward Christian truth. You and I are in the crosshairs more than we realize. The long march through the institutions to delegitimize them and to bring them down. What are we to do? What are we to do? Well, let's remember why we exist as a church, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Is that not where we should go? Let's pray for our nation. Let's pray for the spread of this gospel. Would a couple of, two, three, like to lead us in prayers, I ask at the beginning, and then I'll close.